Sometimes to our own detriment because it hasn't always been awesome. Sometimes yesterday isn't as good as we remember it. Sometimes I think we're a bit too harsh on some of the changes we see these days. Cough, cough, except Marvel and DC. Cough, cough. I'm Ramzo W. Martinez. Welcome back to the Second Print Comics podcast. Do us a favor if you haven't already. Go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and review. I know I go ahead and uh, Mark and I, when Mark is here and not currently in a death battle with alligator number five on his Florida man punch card, we usually tell people at the end of the show to go ahead and leave a five-star rating and review. But I'm going to ask you to do that at the beginning. Uh, And the reason is this. We started this show not with many expectations, Mark and I both had our own individual respective pod, respected podcasts in two very different genre categories. And when we went ahead and launched this show, we launched it uh, when Mark was moving temporarily from uh, L.A. to Mexico, which turned into him being in Mexico for like two years. Um, I went ahead and found myself between multiple job changes and moving from Virginia to Wisconsin. And through it all, through it all, through lockdowns, through, uh, you know, DC re-releasing the same trailers and just adding like an extra 20 seconds to basically say one day movies will come out, which they eventually did again. Uh, we, we've been through some thick and thin and we haven't done like a big pitch asking you to go ahead and leave a five-star rating and review, but we're, I'm going to go ahead and do it today because I'm, I'm way more vain. And, and the reason is this. We have big plans that you are all part of. Every one of you listening, you're, you're, you're part of what we're building here, the Second Brick Comics community, where we're trying to reinstall that, that spirit you felt as a kid, as a teenager, as somebody who was getting into this, reminding you of those days when you could pick up a fresh comic book and get that fresh comic book smell, when you went and saw your favorite character on the screen for the first time, the the warmth of waking up with a bowl of cereal, enjoying your favorite Sunday morning cartoon. We want to go ahead and bring that to as many people as we can. And when I look at the reviews and know that we're part of your day, that you're taking time out to listen to us, and sometimes you get your kids and spouses involved, it it really does remind us why we continue. And we hope that um, this community can only get better because we're making people happy, and if we're not doing that, then why are we doing it? Additionally, if you always want more happiness, we've, we've got a ton of new content coming over to Patreon, uh, early releases of the show, uh, monthly gym calls, journey in the mystery calls for $15 and up patrons. I went ahead and grabbed another, um, you know, a good pile of hard covered shrink wrapped, uh, you know, just, I mean, it's like condom tight 
graphic novels. I mean, these these things are in the plastic. Like nothing's getting out, nothing's getting in. It's you know, it's the Trojan SPC seal of approval that they have not been touched. Uh, I will be mailing these out to our epic crossover level patrons, and very soon we'll be going ahead and having back on more of our Kirby Club level folks to produce episodes. That's right. If you didn't know. You can go ahead and produce an episode of the show for $50 a month and get all the previous rewards for the lower tiers. So go ahead and check that out today at patreon.com slash secondprintpod. So much to do. So much to do. Because at the end of the day, we're bringing everything back to grow the show, to expand our platform, and bring you the comic book eat goodness that you're looking for. Well... As uh, Florida Man Mark goes ahead and fights Alligator number five, you're stuck with me. You're stuck with Uncle Remzo this week. And I know usually that means playboys and beers. So I wanted to go ahead and try and jump into a topic that uh, will make you feel like, you know, maybe a little bit more normal. We, we, we sound like old men. I, I'll, I'll talk about this. In our Second Book Comics fan zone, which is our exclusive Patreon um member Facebook page, we, we do a lot of bitching. And it's good bitching. It's therapeutic bitching. Sometimes we need to bitch out the world together, you know, let our freak flags fly and talk about how they're just destroying everything. And uh, while there are things to complain about, and I do uh, plenty complaining myself, I'm not begrudging anybody, I'm part of it. I'm throwing Molotov cocktails and setting shit on fire alongside with you. The solidarity is real, comrade. Um, I am... You know, sometimes looking back at things and I'm just like, you know, maybe, maybe this wasn't a good idea. One, one big example of something that just has not aged well. And if you're a long time Second Print Comics listener, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the leprechauns from Cassidy Castle in uh, the original Phoenix saga. Yes, Eric. Supporter and producer Eric, I'm talking to you. You went ahead and picked uh, the Phoenix Saga way yonder back. Scroll through the feed. It's the original Phoenix Saga. Um, in that collection, which is less of a saga, more of just a marketing opportunity, they went ahead and added a story. I forget who wrote it. It was um, I, I don't remember who it, it. It wasn't. It wasn't Claremont. I think I don't think it was a Claremont story. Either way. This involved the X-Men getting kidnapped by Black Tom Cassidy and the Juggernaut as they had recently uh, been recovering from mission in the space in which they almost always uh, in which they almost died. And as always, they don't die. Uh, Jean Grey went ahead and saved them through her, you know, giant Jean Grey powers, and that is what activated the Phoenix spirit inside of her. And they kind of just ignore that for the first few pages, and the next couple issues, it's like it doesn't matter at all. But they they go ahead and go on vacation, and they go to Banshee's castle, and uh, Cassidy Castle, and while they're there, they're attacked by his cousin Black Tom, her brother, I don't know how it works, they probably retconned it a dozen times, and Juggernaut, and this is a, this is an early Juggernaut appearance, I still like how he's done and everything, it's a good old classic X-Men tale, but what people don't really talk about is the fact that in the middle of it, Nightcrawler is aided by the Leprechauns of Cassidy Castle. The Leprechauns actually help the X-Men defeat Black Tom and Juggernaut, this sounds like a weird uh, Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends episode from the 70s, and it was written around that time, so maybe they were trying to get the t- kid demographic. Maybe little people were just more popular then. Either way, 
the leprechaun thing was just freaking weird. And I've been thinking about that for months and months and months. Eric, if you're listening to this, you poison my mind of leprechauns. I'm thinking this is a very, very important moment in X-Men history, the Phoenix Saga. It led to the, ult- you know, I was about to call it the ultimate. I didn't want to confuse anybody with universes and titles and that stuff, all the nerd mumbo jumbo. It eventually led us to the one that people are more... Uh, you know, likely to know and associate the Phoenix with, the Dark Phoenix Saga. Um, I think the reason why is because when we look back at that, we see it as just something that doesn't make sense. It's irrelevant. And they never talk about it again. I don't think in any Marvel book, in the 616 main OG continuity of Marvel, we have ever seen the Leprechauns again. And I challenged you all way back when, when Mark and I went through that, at Eric's request, that if the leprechauns returned, you should tell me. And I did two seconds of, uh, you know, on the shitter Googling uh, while I was on the porcelain throne, and I couldn't find them again. And after that, I just lost, you know, I, I, I lost interest. But it still stuck with me. It stuck with me. So with that said, in the spirit of the irreverent, irrelevant Marvel X-Men leprechauns, Today, I'm going to go ahead and respond to an article from whatculture.com, which I will uh, leave a link in the show notes to today. This is 10 Dumbest Changes Made to Iconic Characters. Can you believe anyone ever thought these were good ideas? Here's how this is going to work. I'm going to go ahead and read the article, and we'll get through the list, and I will go ahead and throw in my two cents in between all of them, here, there, and everywhere. We're about to splooge on this article like Ron Jeremy at a cat house. Okay. Um, Scrolling power, scrolling powers. A better podcaster would just cut to this, but I'm, I, I want you to be here with me in the moment. Just, just we, we do this live. Be with me. Um, okay. What draws so many people into comic books is the idea of peeking inside a world where we're all just a freak accident or a magic ring away from soaring through thin air. It also helps that funny books are an environment in which writers can craft tales where literally anything can happen. Cough, cough, leprechauns. Um, however, just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean you should, and that is often the case when trying to change iconic characters. Wow, I, I wish uh, Tom Taylor and uh, many others right now would, would read this. I really wish they would. Over the course of decades of stories, it's only natural writers would occasionally want to shake things up to keep characters from getting stale. The problem is, so often, they completely dive off the deep end and try and reinvent the wheel, which results with more disaster... I can't read. Um, (laughs) With results more disastrous than the attempt to mix metaphors. Uh, Changes will be made that completely undermine the whole point of a hero. Or maybe they'll get bizarre new powers that don't mesh at all with who they are. Heck, even sometimes a simple change of costume can completely derail a character. And then other times, Batman gets turned into a toddler. Number 10, Bat-Baby. Yeah, yeah, I I read that, Bat-Baby. Here they go ahead and pull a screenshot of Batman and what appears to be Bat-Baby rolling into an evil scientist's lair. So you see Rob and the boy wander, uh, you know, just like 
crashing through a window along with Bat Baby. It's like, this is, this looks wrong. It looks more like a midget and less like a baby. Unless the fact that he's a young Batman who's around a toddler's age makes him Bat Baby. But then he, why wouldn't he be Bat Toddler? So this is really weird. He just looks kind of like, and I'm not, I'm not a racist, folks. I'm a stereotypist. I call balls and strikes the way they are. But he looks like a midget Asian man with a Batman costume. It looks like half a Batman costume, a Batman t-shirt, and some overalls. It looks like what you may have, you know, dressed around in yourself when you were a young tyke. Except this one, maybe it's just the, the rendering of the character. It looks, it looks wrong. This, this is disturbing. Uh, the article goes for number 10. Uh, writing Batman comics in the 1960s was a tough gig. Yeah, I mean, you had to compete with... Uh, with uh, with Adam West, Batman, and if you want to talk about a place where Bat maybe, baby, Bat maybe, baby, Bat baby, maybe, Bat baby could have been a character. It would have been the Adam West Batman. As much as I love it, they had some dumb stuff in it too. Uh, comic book plots were usually wrapped in one or two issues, so writers were always scrambling for a new way to mix up the formula of Batman punches bad guy and saves Gotham from death ray slash Joker gas slash having to acknowledge Polka Dot Man's existence. You know, Polka Dot Man aged well, if you give him some credit for appearing in the Suicide Squad movie. Bat Baby, I hope, never appears in the movie. But those are just my thoughts. It was a time when any plot was acceptable as long as it filled the gaps between pages. And that's how we got Bat Baby. Every part of the story is an amazing adventure of lunacy. Batman and Robin chase down an evil scientist which, with the least intimidating named name ever. This guy, the scientist in the screenshot, his name is Garth. Just, just roll with me here, people. Garth hits Batman with a ray gun. Literally 90% of 60s Batman comics started with ray guns, uh, which de-ages him to a child. When we get the most unintentionally adorable panel ever of Robin carrying a baby Bruce Wayne in his arms, wrapped in a far too big Batman costume. Good job, Garth. It made the Dark Knight adorable, apparently. Uh, Bruce then decides to fight crime as Batbaby. So wait, he, he, um, he, he's not, it's not like he is, he's physically a baby, but he still has the full personality and knowledge of an adult brain. So why wouldn't he, wouldn't they like Benjamin Button him? Where it's like, you know, the, the body does one thing and it slowly like deteriorates. This should actually be a horror comic. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, uh, apparently, uh, you know, the, the author goes ahead and points out, apparently five-year-old Batman uh, is still ripped. Yes, that would make sense as to why he looks more like a little man instead of a little baby. So I, I, I'm not horrible for thinking about that. I, this is the first time I've gone through this list, too, so you're just getting my raw reaction. Yeah, he does look kind of freakish. Very freakish. Uh, he goes ahead and fights crime as Bat-Baby until he tracks down Garth and is restored full size. Unfortunately, we never get an answer to the issue's most burning questions, like did Batman just have a child-sized outfit laying around in the Batcave? And if he did, why doesn't he have any trousers? Was it to distract villains with his overly muscular legs, or does he really just like dungarees? Here's my final question to this. Was he capable of wiping his own ass, or did Robin have to go where no Robin has gone before? Think on that, humble listener. 
Moving on to number nine. Oh, Mark, I know you love this wherever you are. Number nine. I feel like this should be number four. Well, reading the title of this, maybe it, it was done intentionally or not. I'm reading too much into it. Sue Storm's 90s costume. Yes, folks, we're talking about the cleavageless boob window swimsuit that uh, is basically the Fantastic Four uniform, just cutting a bunch of pieces so we see as much skin as possible. Thank you, 90s, for giving us some of the best and worst female costumes ever. Um, the Fantastic Four's costume has always been pretty simple. It's just a blue jumpsuit with a four on it. So how on earth could someone get it so horribly wrong? And I got to say, I think this was in the Jim Shooter era of Marvel. I'm If he was there, which I think he may have been, I think this is right around the time that he left and went over to Valiant Comics, um, I don't think this would have flown under his boat. This was definitely, this was definitely somebody in the bullpen just, uh, just messing around. Um, the Fantastic Four's costume has always... Oh, yeah, I already read that sentence. Okay. It's a pretty common trope that female characters' costumes are often more revealing than men's. But Sue's 90s costume embraces the trope to the point of parody. It's not just that shows so off so much skin. It's how random in placement it is. Everything from the straps of material on her arms and legs to the giant hole in her midriff, which make it look like her costume fell apart in the wash and she's just too embarrassed to tell anyone. Of course, none of that can compare to the almost majestically stupid moment of the four-shaped boob window. Yeah. I, I mean, you don't, even, you don't even see any of the fun stuff you'd want with it. It's just kind of like there, like... I don't know if it was for censorship or just bad drawing, but if you're going to do it, like, go all the way, right? No wonder she's the Invisible Woman. Who would ever want to be seen in such a ridiculous costume? It was pretty desperate of an attempt to get the book to appeal to teenage boys. And what makes it awkward is how badly the costume fits with Sue's character. She's supposed to be an equal on the team, a tough but caring figure who acts as a mother figure to her teammates and is also an actual mother. Yeah, she had Franklin at this point. I don't think uh, Valeria would come out for another decade. And yet, everyone else gets a full-body costume while she's left running around in a bikini. Uh, in, in everyone else's defense, I'm pretty sure that Ben Grimm was left defigured after an attack from Doom, and he was actually, or the Hulk, I don't remember how it is. I don't know anything about comics. I don't know why I'm here sometimes. So he was wearing the giant, like, metal helmet, which, I mean, the thing is the thing. Like, you know, he doesn't need a freaking helmet. It was stupid. Um, yeah, everyone else gets a full body costume while she's left running around in a bikini. Just that line. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm... I'm 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 here for it. I'm here for it. That's wrong. You 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 done the invisible girl raw, dude. Like that was wrong. Heck, by this point, oh wait, whoa, whoa, wait. Maybe they talk about. It. Heck, by this point, even the thing was wearing a shirt, and he used to fight crime in his underpants. Maybe maybe the helmet comes later. I think the helmet comes later. Anywho, number eight, Captain America's exoskeleton. I have this comic. It is dumb. Like, I have it. I'm pretty sure I gave it away to a friend's kid. Um, yeah, this is just basically Iron Man, Captain America. This would actually come back during the uh, uh, Jonathan Hickman Avengers run right before Secret War. When that was, it was more of a joke, but it was o overpowered and stuff. And this is when Captain America 
I, I don't think he had. No, maybe he did. No, he he was uh, he was old man Captain America at that point. That's why he needed it because the super soldier serum had been taken from him. That that was when Sam Wilson was flying around as Cap. Anywho, yeah, lots of lots of weird shit. I get confused too. During the '90s, a lot of attempts were made to bring older characters up to date with what was cool at the time. In practice, that meant that every hero was given either 500 pouches, thank you, Rob Liefeld, a gun the size of a car, thank you, Rob Liefeld, or a giant suit of power armor. We collectively made some bad choices about what was cool in that decade. And I, I'm going to pause here for a second. Am I the only one that digs the pouches? I mean, come on. Cable looks freaking awesome. Giant arms, giant gun, giant po- pockets, pockets everywhere, pockets, pockets, come on. It still looks cool, at least on him. I don't think I could pull that off. Uh, As you can see, Cap got a power suit. It was part of a story in which the super soldier serum in Steve's body began to fail. And so Tony Stark built him an armored exoskeleton. Unfortunately, Tony Stark is also apparently kind of a jerk. And, oh, internet. Internet, what's wrong? Why aren't you scrolling? Well, here it is. Now we're good. Uh, Tony Stark is also apparently a petty jerk who wants to be the only one to look good in armor. And so he built the goofiest looking suit imaginable. Okay, I think that's just the author's opinion. Um, The whole thing just looks so unwieldy. And it's a wonder that Steve could even fit through that door in the the thing in the first place. Never mind fight the Red Skull. And what's the point of having a single bit of armor over his nose? Yeah, that, that looks like a bad WWE costume. Is he afraid that Baron Zemo will trick him with a you got your nose prank? How would Zemo say it? Got your nose. Yeah, that was when he was a Nazi. Um, got your nose. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, the exoskeleton is a prime example of a lot of this list. It's completely unnecessary. And, it cha- and it's a change that adds absolutely nothing to the character. Captain America is supposed to fight for justice using his own hardened, hardened battle skills. Not stomp around like a, reje- like a rejected Transformer. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good line. You know, th- this, this exoskeleton didn't last long. It didn't cross over. It's not like the laser shield, which is dumb. The laser shield. I'm surprised the laser shield hasn't made it on here. Maybe it has. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, for those of you that remember our Death of Superman episode, uh, you might get a kick out of this. Justice League Detroit is number seven on our list. Justice League Detroit is the unofficial name of the embarrassing period in Justice League history where all its big-name heroes were replaced by terrible stereotypes, vibe. I mean, God, we get one Puerto Rican in the comics, and he just looks like a... Like like an AIDS recovery photo. I'm sorry. It's just, no, no, I, I vibe. You deserve better. Um, the idea for the team came, and I'm only making that joke because it's the 80s. That, you know, I think, I, I think South Park made it so we can make jokes about that. If not, we should have been canceled a dozen times by now. The idea for the team came during the mid-1980s when teams of young superheroes like the X-Men and Teen Titans were popular. And so to capitalize on that, the Justice League were moved to a new headquarters in Detroit. Why? Or as Owen Wilson would say, why? Wow. Um, And it's big name heroes are replaced by new characters in their 20s. These characters included Vixen. Vixen. These characters included Vixen. 
a totem-powered African. Vibe, a breakdancing... <laughs> This is so dumb. A breakdancing former gang member who fell out of the Hispanic stereotype tree and hit every branch on the way down. <laughs> and Gypsy, a character who named herself after a slur for the culture that she decided to appropriate. <laughs> who's, I don't think I've, who's Gypsy? Oh my God. I've no, I have seen this photo from this specific issue of Justice League hundreds of times over the years. I have never noticed Gypsy once. This is the first time I've ever noticed her. And I don't think I've ever seen her in anything else. I don't, I, you could ask me anything about her. I won't, I won't be able to give you anything. Damn. Damn. Uh, <laughs> they were joined by, oh, people I know. Zatanna, the elongated man. Martian Manhunter. Aquaman, who had to leave later due to marital, marital troubles, the author uh, notes. And another new character, Steel. Not the iron-bladed friend of Superman, this Steel was the grandson of a World War II hero, Commander Steel, and had super strength. Uh, you probably know him from uh, Legends of Tomorrow, or uh, Just Society of America from the mid-2000s. Um, you've probably already forgotten the last sentence, because Steel was so boring that the human mind is incapable of retaining information about him. He was bulletproof Captain America, that's all you need to know. That was Steel. Um... I mean, down to the costume. Uh, the team's stories were plagued with heavy-handed attempts to tackle current-day problems, like gang culture, cough, cough, vibe, and issues sold poorly, leading and issues sold poorly, leading to its cancellation. In the final story, Vibe and Steel were both killed, and everyone else resigned. It was a depressing end <laughs> to an ill-advised series. Wow, and much like everything else, they would eventually come back, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, I saw this in a documentary on History Channel of comic books. This is, um, yeah, I don't think we're going to see uh, Kung Fu Gal Gadot anytime soon. Number six, Wonder Woman learns Kung Fu. Do you know what would make Wonder Woman great if you said remove every single thing that makes her Wonder Woman? Then you'd be wrong. However... Uh, you'd also have a promising career as a 60s comic writer. At the time, the Avengers, not, not the cool ones, I'm talking like the, the, the British ones, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, at the time, the Avengers was one of the most popular shows on TV, and DC wanted to capitalize on that success by making their own leading lady more like spy Emma Peel. The only tiny problem is that super strong Amazon and a catsuit-clad secret agent have probably nothing in common. DC, though, are the kind of company they're happiest sand down a square block to fit a circular hole. Wow, how times have, have not changed. Um, conveniently, the Amazons suddenly decided to leave this dimension. If Wonder Woman wanted to stay on Earth, it would mean giving up her powers. Equally convenient... She ran into an old blind Chinese man who taught her Kung Fu. The new Wonder Woman was completely unrecognizable from the old. She was now a globe-trotting super spy in a white pantsuit who mixed karate-chopping bad guys with, a running, with running a mod boutique fashion store. <laughs> the silliest part is that Diana only agreed to the whole thing as a way of protecting Steve Trevor from his own incompetence who then proved that point 
a few issues later by who, who proved that point a few issues later by dying anyway. Oh, Steve. I <laughs> so, so dumb. So dumb. Uh, oh, this is not dumb. I actually, I'm, I'm actually going to disagree with number five on this list. I, I disagree a lot. Speedball becomes penance. Uh, we are lucky to live in an age where comic books are now more respected of a medium, offering opportunities to tell complex stories of nuanced characters. The downside of this, though, and the author notes, apart from the lack of biff, zap, sound effects, I agree with that, is that sometimes publishers and writer, writers feel the need to overcompensate to prove that their comics are serious grown-up books for adults. Um, this brings us to the superhero Speedball. Robert Baldwin was a happy-go-lucky member of the New Warriors with the power to generate force fields and was part of damn no pop-ups and was part of the team that kicked off the events of the Civil War in the Marvel comics. Um, the comic started with Robbie and his friends apparently forgetting that they had been fighting crime since the 90s as they idiotically tried to rush Nitro a living bomb. To the surprise of no one, the exploding man did an explosion, seemingly killing the new warriors in a bus full of schoolchildren. Robbie survived thanks to his own force fields, but the experience changed him. His powers would now only work when he was in pain, and so he changed his name to Penance and started wearing a suit full of spikes. Yes, Marvel made uh, Marvel's big idea to make a character more edgy was to literally have him be covered in spikes. It's a cringe-inducing attempt to be dark and the sort of thing most of us realized wasn't cool once we were 15. I gotta disagree. I, I think what they did with the New Warriors to kick off the Civil War was smart. I think uh, Penance's inclusion in the Thunderbolts is some of the best character writing ever for a... I'll call him a C-list Marvel character. If you think this is dumb, you obviously did not read the same initiative-era Thunderbolts comics where Norman Osborn was in charge that I did because what they did with Penance here, and then when they brought him in to the Ultimate Alliance 2 video game and you could play him, that was some heavy shit. I disagree with this. I don't think this is dumb. I think making Speedball uh, Penance was very, very smart. Uh, let's see what they do. Oh, we've talked about this before. <laughs> uh, ha uh, number four, Supergirl slash Matrix. Okay, maybe we'll get some more answers on whether, uh, whether Lex Luthor in the body of his son, who was an Australian who was six foot five and had red hair and a beard, was, uh, you know, smashing uh, a, a Play-Doh person. Um, okay. The second Supergirl was brought in to replace the original after she was erased from existence during the Crisis on Infinite Earths event. Uh, remember, uh, you can go back in the feed. I think we did like a, like a three, four part Crisis on Infinite Earths issue. And we also did um, Death of Superman and Funeral for a Friend if you actually want to figure out what, what the deal with Supergirl was at the time. Uh, she was a shape-shifting clone from an alternate dimension who took on a form which conveniently happened to resemble someone who had never actually existed. This only got weirder from there. After a whole weird time dating Lex Luthor disguised as his own son, Matrix did some soul-searching. This ended up being more literal than she intended when she met Linda Danvers. Linda was viciously attacked by her former boyfriend as part of a sacrifice and a demonic ritual. This is probably something that happens of so many people 
on uh, on Tinder. Um, Matrix tried to help by shape-shifting to seal her wounds, but in the process, the two ended up fusing together. That's fucking weird. Um, moving very quickly away from that last sentence, the Matrix-Linda hybrid could now switch between forms, fighting crime as Supergirl and living a normal life as Linda Danvers. But as time went by, things only got crazier. Suddenly, Supergirl was actually an angel. What what the fuck? Uh, Suddenly, Supergirl was actually an angel, thanks to the ritual, and had fiery wings. Then, Matrix was an angel, and Linda was just Supergirl. Only then, Matrix was gone, and Linda was actually an angel and also in hell. Thank God DC eventually brought back Superman's cousin Kara and abandoned this whole mess. Wow. Questions. That, that's all I have to respond with. I, I, have, I have so many questions, and I, I, I don't want to follow that through. Sorry. Number three, Nightcrawler is the son of a demon. What the hell? No. No, this is cool. Why are you saying it's dumb? Why are you saying that? Nightcrawler is a quintessential member of the X-Men and a perfect representative of the book's message. He may look like a demon from hell, but he's really a kind and devout Christian man. Or at least he was until Marvel made him actually the son of a demon. Katwagna's mother is the X-Men's enemy Mystique. But for a long while, it was a mystery who his father was. Interestingly, the original idea was for the shape-shifting Mystique to be his father and fellow X-Men Destiny to be his... Wait, Mystique was supposed to be a father. Hold up. Can Mystique shape-shift a dick into existence? We're going to leave that there. Um, That question was finally answered in the Draco by legendary X-Men Rooner Chuck Austin. Um, I don't think we can call him the Rooner now. I mean, just look at what Jonathan Hickman has done the past four years. Bastard. Uh, Nightcrawler's father was was, was revealed to be Azazel, the demonic ruler of a dimension similar to Hell, who claimed to be the inspiration for the devil. Um, the problem is this completely undercuts the point of Nightcrawler's character. The people who originally persecuted Kurt did so because they were afraid he was a demon and were portrayed as ignorant for doing so because he was actually just a person. Only now those people were right. Nightcrawler is a demon. Sure, they have uh, been wrong about him being evil, but now their mistake is justified by his demonic heritage rather than being the product of intolerance. (laughs) It's not exactly great for a comic that's supposed to be a metaphor for racism. All right, you know what? I I concede. When you put it that way, making him him a literal demon was probably not the, the best way to go. Number two, feral Wolverine. Uh, the 90s were not a good time for Wolverine. No, Well, mm, mm, I mean, in the comics, he was going through some rough shit. Yeah, we can say that. But this is when you get some good Wolverine stories. Uh, so maybe it's subjective. The 90s were not a good time for Wolverine. First, he had his adamantium ripped out by Magneto. 
Then he lost his healing factor for a while, and then he was kidnapped by Cable's son, Genesis, who attempts to give Logan his adamantium back, but turned him into whatever hell this is. And if you haven't seen this before, Wolverine basically turns into a monster-slash-mutant person, and his nose disappears. Like, actually, if you look at him issue by issue in his own comics and the X-Men comics, his nose just, like, actually disappears. I don't know if that was intentional or not. Apparently... Wolverine's feral nature was actually part of his mutation, and the adamantium had been keeping it in check all these years. The attempts to rebond his skeleton with the metal caused his mutation to go out of control, devolving Logan into a near Neanderthal beast man. Jean Grey would still tap that. She still did, apparently. I don't think during this phase, but later, yeah, it didn't, it didn't ruin anything. Cyclops would still lose Gene to a Neanderthal. <laughs> what a loser. Cyclops sucks. Um, in this state, Wolverine was barely sentient and could hardly string together sentences. All he could do was stab and grunt and lick Cyclops one time, which was super weird. Uh, only tongue action Cyclops is getting. Uh, he also didn't have a nose. Okay, he caught that too. How did he smell? Awful. Uh, The X-Men weren't overly fussed with the change, apart from making Wolverine wear a bandana over his weird face, and did nothing to try and fix it. Even Logan seemed pretty fine with it after getting his mental faculties back. It was eventually undone, though, when Apocalypse kidnapped him and gave him his adamantium back. Not even Apocalypse is evil enough to let that dumb storyline continue. (laughs) You know... I don't know what else it uh what what else that uh reminds me of. You know, people want to text me like all the time and I should be more of a professional and just let it go. Let it go. Let the text message go. Uh number 1 and uh I don't know how I feel about this one. Maybe they'll maybe they'll convince me because I don't have an opinion. Superman blue and red. This is during his like electric Superman phase. I mean, everyone goes through a through an electric phase in the 90s, right? Right? Superman Red and Superman Blue were introduced in a goofy Silver Age story in which Superman splits himself in two to get more things done. The concept was forgotten about for decades until the 90s because of course This was another horrible 90s story. Uh, When some bright spark decided to bring them back, dropping all pretense of trying to make a coherent plot, Superman loses his powers after being cut off from the sun for some time. Yeah, just take take that in. He loses his powers by being cut off from the sun. I mean, that, that does make sense a little bit, but... Damn. Eh. Instead, he gains new powers, turning him into a being made of pure energy, because sure, why not? He also had to trade in his costume for a blue and white containment suit to keep himself fully together, fully completing his journey from the world's most recognizable hero to, captain, to a Captain Adam knockoff. Uh, after flying around looking like a member of the Blue Man Group's techno spinoff band, he, caught, he got caught in the trap made by Cyborg Superman who ironically looks cooler than regular Superman in this case. Continuing the story's trend of not even trying to explain the plot, Superman was split into two beings, the calculating blue Superman and the impulsive red Superman. It is a travesty that he was not named Superman 2, Electric Boogaloo, but the author digresses. 
The two spent their time arguing over how to fight crime and who would get to date Lois Lane, while fans scratched their heads wondering what any of this had to do with the Man of Steel they knew and loved. The plot was solved in an appropriately arbitrary fashion when the two randomly merged back together into the traditional Superman. And people wonder why they killed him a few years prior. Well, folks, what do you think? Too, too dumb to love or not lovable enough to be dumb? I don't know. Well, thank you again for tuning in. And, uh, yeah. Go ahead and tweet me at HeyRemzo. And uh, go ahead and also tag SecondPrintPod on Twitter. What are some of the dumb things that you you can't believe slip by in comics? Editors rejoice. We don't do much of our own homework. We just react to the work that other people do. As always, I am Remzo W. Martinez. And if there's one thing you can do, despite it all, it's read comics and change the world. Night, America. Thank you.